Greetings, all. Did you know that the ancient Romans used to drop a piece of toast into their wine for good health, hence why we uh, raise a toast? Wild. I'm Justin. I'm Josh. And this is the Do Life Project. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, so figured we'd uh, drop some knowledge on you to start. Just thought that was really interesting that that's where that saying came from. It's so weird, things like that. Like like just things that you say every day and, and just customs and just raising a toast. Like I never think about where that stuff comes from. No, me neither. And it's always like it kind of it kind of has a cool like background. Like mind your P's and Q's. Yeah, what's that? That's from? from back in the day when a barkeep would tell people to mind their pints and quarts. Keep your nose out of other people's business, but that's where it came from. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What are we doing, Justin? We are going to embark on another sip and read. Yes, we are. And uh, today, we're going to try a beer in the beginning. Yeah. Going to hit some whiskey at the end of this whole debacle. Oh, yeah. And in the middle, we're going to talk about a book. Love it. I brought the book today. It is Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. But before we, uh, before we get to the book, uh, let's talk about this beer. Let's do it. So I don't have the box anymore, so I can't read you guys anything about it. It is called Fat Tire. It is... It's an amber ale. It is an amber ale. It's a Belgian-style beer. Uh, looks like it's brewed in Colorado. Fort Collins, Colorado, and Asheville, North Carolina. And it's New Belgium Brewing Company. It's very good. It's uh, 5.2% by volume. And yeah. I actually didn't think that you would like this very much. Really? Yeah. How come? Uh, it's sort of hoppy and bitter. See, I don't think it's that hoppy or bitter. I think that... It has enough of like a Belgian swing to it, like a kind of like a Blue Moon or a UFO White, where it has that bit of a bite, but it's not overpowering. This is not citrusy at all. I don't no. want to. I don't want to give that. I don't want to give that impression. Um, it does it's not a, taste like a Blue Moon or a UFO or anything like that. But the we've we've said this a couple of times. Like the thickness of it, yeah, reminds me of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. I agree. Um, I I like this beer, but I can only have one because it's like drinking a meal. That's what it feels like. Oh, see, and I don't get that vibe. You don't get that. Yeah, for me, any honestly, any darker beer, I don't know if it's just like psychologically the way that my brain works, but any dark beer, I'm like, I feel full. Mm. So I couldn't sit down and drink like five of these or six of these. Um but one, one's good. It's a very like autumn beer. It it tastes like uh I can get behind that. Yeah. But one, I dig it. Um what would you what would you rate this fat tire? Uh to me it's just like an average beer. Um I I like this a little bit better than your like everyday drinkers, like your buds and th- sure. those types. Yep. Uh, but I wouldn't rank it much higher than that. I would just say it's an average average beer. I'd give it a five. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm at like five point two. Five point two. It's slightly slightly better than average. Yeah. Again, nothing to write home about, but no. it's good. Let me try it out. Yeah. Give it, it a little sip. Yeah, it's it's worth the experience. But again, I don't think it's something that you're gonna stock your fridge to the gills with. Uh, I agree, which is why I'm shocked that I have like 37 of those things in my fridge. What? I have a lot. It's not 37. It's probably like 20 of them. Because um, my, me, my cousin, my uncle, and our buddy went to a concert, and Polly showed up here with a 30 rack of fucking fat tires. Love Polly. I was like, dude, yeah, he's the man. And we had like, I was like, wow, why did you bring so many beers dude like we're 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 leaving in 20 minutes you yeah. know what i mean and i so i like jump in the shower i have a shower beer which is the best that is the best ever. it doesn't even matter what beer it is no 
No, it's, it's amazing. It's a ten. It's a that. ten in the shower. 100%. Any beer is a ten in the shower. Yep. Uh, and then we leave, and he forgets to bring the beer, and and it's here. So I have fucking a hundred of these things. Okay, it's gonna take me a year and a half to drink them. Yeah, maybe. But we're having the Halloween party, so I'm gonna try and oh. shove that down people's throats. Yeah, we'll we'll take care of it for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so leaders eat last. Have you have you ever heard of the book? I have not. Have you ever heard of Simon Sinek, the author? I have not. You never seen TED Talks or anything like that. I have. Seen some TED Talks. I'll be honest, I actually don't know who did them, who who spoke. So yeah. maybe I have heard of him. I just don't know him by name. Maybe, maybe not. Um, he's written a, a few. He's written this one, uh, Start With Why, which is a, a good book. Uh, we'll probably end up talking about it on here at some point. But Leaders Eat Last was uh, my first exposure to Simon Sinek, probably five five or six years ago, something like that. And it was actually the title that caught my attention first. Leaders Eat Last uh, in the military has uh, a definitive meaning where your lower-ranking individuals always eat before the leadership. Hmm. So when we're in line for chow, we call it chow food, whatever, uh, your privates and specialists go in front of and eat by rank, essentially. That's kind of cool. Is there What's the reasoning behind that? Well, uh, in in the Army and in the Marine Corps, and I would imagine the other branches, um, it is the NCO's job to take care of the soldiers. So if your soldiers are fed and generally warm, they're going to do whatever they have to do. I like the generally. Generally, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're not we're not um, selling Girl Scout cookies, but which is actually deceivingly hard. Apparently, <clears throat> it's so cold out there. They, so they put in work, though. They do. They, yeah, I they know. hustle. I know it was probably a bad uh, comparison, but it's all about taking care of the soldiers, you know, and and making sure that they're fed. And if there's not enough food, as a leader, it's just like. Too bad. Yeah, you go you know, without. You go without uh, so your soldiers don't have to. That's pretty cool. I agree that I really like the title of this book. And the other book that you mentioned he wrote, Start With Why, I think. is Start With Why. That's yeah. a really cool title as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's a good book. It's a good book. So I will read a little summary, and then we'll get into some quotes that I dig. Sounds good. So it says, leadership isn't just about managing numbers. It's about helping people to thrive and find meaning in their work. When leaders take care of their people, the numbers will take care of themselves. Unfortunately, many leaders and organizations seem to have lost sight of this fundamental truth. In Leaders Eat Last, Simon Sinek explains where we've gone wrong and puts out an urgent call for real leaders to step forth to make a positive difference. A company's biggest strength doesn't lie in its products and services. It always lies in its people and their ability to cooperate closely and rally behind the organization, especially during a crisis. However, loyalty and commitment must be earned. Today, work has become a contractual, transactional relationship in many organizations. Intense competition and layoffs are the norm. Hardly anyone believes in loyalty to a company anymore, much less lifetime employment. What does it take for our leaders to inspire true loyalty and outstanding results? Human beings have thrived as a species because of our ability to create, invent, plan, and organize ourselves in complex ways. Our survival hinges on our ability to operate in social groups. During prehistoric ages, humans depended on their tribes for food, shelter, and protection. Even though our environments and organizations have changed drastically, our biological makeup still remains similar. We'll pause there. I think that's very true, especially about like today's corporate environment. It's all about the next step. It's all about reaching that next point. The loyalty, the uh, all of that is gone. For, mo- for most, I, I would say that's... For most. Again, I mean, I've... There's outliers. 
Yeah, I've worked at the same company for almost 10 years. Yep. I have really no interest in leaving, but I know that's not, like, common. Do you know how long the average American stays at one employer? Five years? Two, two and years? a half. Okay. Two and a half years. Wow. Two and a half years. Uh, and I honestly, being in corporate America for as long as we've been in corporate America, um, you're treated as sort of a number. And and it feels like the the team building, quote unquote, things and like the, the things that they try to do is forced. Yes. Oh, and it 100%. just feels like it feels fake. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, I've had maybe two leaders on the civilian side that I genuinely felt like had my best interests at heart. You being one of them. Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and and that's that's tough. It is, and I can I can agree with that. I would say out of all the managers that I've had, maybe two or three, I felt like genuinely were like, you are a person more so than a number on the sheet that yeah. is required to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, uh, you know, annual reviews and quarterly reviews and things like that, it, it always goes back to the numbers. Oh, yeah. It always goes down to production and what are, you, what are you bringing to the table? How are you making us more money? That's right. How are we moving forward? It comes down to the money, but it how are we moving does. forward? It absolutely does. And the intrinsic value that you bring to the culture and the team sort of doesn't matter unless you're producing. I find that very interesting, especially in the environment that we come from in a sales environment. You could be the best leader and you could have your team running at like a top level and everybody is there for one another and all of the things that you want. But if you're not over indexing, not just hitting, over indexing your requirements, they don't give a shit doesn't matter and they will move you to the detriment of the team without any hesitation figure it out and we've experienced that a few times oh yeah oh yeah a few times and again i mean i so on the other side of the coin i get it again the job is to make money so you are going to do what's you are going to do what's necessary as the leader of that to make it happen. But I still think they lose the forest for the trees. I like that. I like that uh, saying. Hey, thanks. Yeah, cool. Um, I feel like it's also the size of the organization Mm. can be a detriment to the culture of the organization and the leadership. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a lot easier for a small company to be like... I'm going to say this and it's not what you all think intimate with their employees. Like you get to know them as a person. How difficult is it for a CEO of a company that has 20,000 employees to get to know any of them? Impossible. Like it's just not going to happen. But that's why you have to rely on your leaders to, to do that stuff, you know? Um, and I don't think there's, you know, all the leadership training that I've been to mm-hmm. was all about how to get more production out of people, mm-hmm. not how do you build a meaningful relationship with these individuals, and then how do you figure out what's their goal, and then tie the company's goal to to their goal, right? Yeah. And then they're bought in and they own it. Uh, I shouldn't say all because I've been to like one leadership training that that was the big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I've I've gone to, Jesus, numerous ones. I don't even know. You know, 50, I have no idea. And one of them yeah. talked about building a relationship with, with your people, taking care of your people. You know, I always told anybody that, that worked for me, like, I work for you. Right. You let me know what you need, when you need it, and I will bend over backwards to make it happen. And if I can't make it happen, I'm going to let you know as soon as possible. Right. And we'll figure it, something else out. Yeah. I, I feel like managing and being a leader in that sense is borderline common sense. So why is it so difficult for that to happen? Because the pressure is put on production. 
right? So yeah. when all you see, when when your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I love that saying. Right? I learned that from Jay. It's all. It always comes down to the numbers. So when you're hearing that from your leadership, that's what you're putting back to, to your team. But isn't your goal as a leader, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Sure. But isn't your goal as a leader to pr- protect your team, to yes. be there as a, as a shield almost, to take that information and then build it into something that is then digestible for the team? You as a leader should be able to handle what your leadership brings down on you. And your job is to then transfer that to your team in a meaningful way. So I'm a leader on the civilian side and I'm a leader in the military. Yes. Right? On the civilian side, in especially, and I'll talk to sales because that's been my, my career yeah. all the way through up until this most recent change. I'm not in sales anymore. Um, most leaders in sales are leaders because they were failing in sales. That's fair. If you're crushing it in sales, you don't want to be a leader. No, you make make more money. Killing it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm killing it. I don't care. Unless you have a passion for helping people and and help because sales is hard. And if you can make a difference and make people successful and help them change their lifestyle, you know, somebody who doesn't have a Harvard degree can crush it in sales and make six figures. You know what I mean? Uh, But most leaders in sales are failed salespeople that are just charismatic enough or have a good enough relationship with whoever does the promoting Mm. to promote them into incompetency. On the military side of things, there are boxes that you have to check before you can become a leader. There are broadening assignments that you have to do before you can become a leader, right? Do you have like a a quick synopsis of like what those boxes are? Yeah. So um, from private to specialist, you just, it's sort of an automatic promotion that happens. When you're going to, and I don't know the officer side of things very well because I'm not an officer. That's fair. Um, but on the enlisted side, if you're if you want to become a sergeant, you have to go to basic leadership course. And that is two and a half, I think it was two and a half weeks when I went through, maybe three weeks. This was a long time ago. Um, and you have to go through and you have to successfully complete that course. And it's, you know, some people, don't get me wrong, it's not mountain school. You know what I mean? Right. People aren't dropping left and right. But but people fail out, you know. And and the instructors, if they're any good, will let the units know, like, this this person is not ready for leadership. They, mm. they cracked under pressure, you know. And then if you want to go from an E5 or a sergeant to an E6, a staff sergeant, then you have to go to advanced leadership school or advanced leadership course, which for me is six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if you want to become a sergeant first class, you have to go to another school, which is, you know, six, eight weeks. And then Sergeant Majors Academy, which is two years. Holy shit. And they give you an associate's degree after. That's pretty cool. Which is, yeah, very cool. Um, But... You're not, it's not just like, here you go. Yeah. You know, there are things that you have to, number one, you have to be a competent soldier in your job to be considered for it. I feel like that is just step one. (laughs) That's step one. Yeah, but but on the civilian side. Oh, yeah, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, dude. And I find that disheartening, and it's almost a disservice to the leaders that, and not all leaders, because I'm sure that what I say next isn't the same for all companies, but I feel like when people get promoted, especially if they've never had any management or leadership experience prior to, the maybe week of training you get, yeah, maybe, is not enough. I mean, there are so many things that you have to deal with that a little bit more than a week's worth of uh, information that doesn't really pertain to what your job really is, is not enough. So to hear that, again, six weeks, eight weeks, eight weeks, two years, like, again, that makes more sense to me than the opposite. And mind you, in between those times, right, in between those schools, you're in your platoon, you're a team leader for a year and a half. And then you're a squad leader for two years. And then you're a 
platoon sergeant. You know, so there's there's these other internal boxes that you're checking mm-hmm. at the unit level where they can sit back and go, okay, he's he's ready for or she's ready for for the next step up. I don't see that in in the civilian world that much. I don't think it's as clearly defined. So I definitely think that those opportunities exist. I mean, I feel like I've experienced some of them where it's like, hey, we're going to promote you. You're Nobody's directly reporting to you, but you're responsible for these things and you're sure. going to learn that way. Again, I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but I think those opportunities and those you know boxes within the boxes almost are few and far between. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very hard thing to to it, on the civilian side. I can see how it's hard to create this curriculum of of developing a leader, but there's got to be more attention on it because, like I said, I I've had two, maybe maybe three that you know people get promoted to to a leadership role, and the majority of them see it as a step up and like um what's the word I'm looking for? Like social hierarchy? Like social hierarchy. Yeah. Pull that out of my like, ass. No, it's good. It's like I'm the boss. I fucking That's hate a that. shitty fucking way to go into being a leader, dude. Yes, because you look like an asshole. You look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> Nobody wants to support you when you're like that. And these people have been here for probably a couple of years and know the job and the company better than you. And I feel like some people that get promoted into leadership, again, were probably on the sales and sales, were probably failing, got promoted. Now they're a big swinging dick again. And they get to, quote unquote, tell people what to do. And it's it's all just a facade because it's like that's not going to last. Your team's not going to respond well. You're obviously not looking to take care of them, which is your primary responsibility. Yeah, that's your job. Yeah, that that's what the job is. Go back to the book. Uh, so he talks about um, four four chemicals. We'll talk about. Um, We'll talk about them. So it says each of us is an individual and part. So we're an individual and a part of social groups. We make daily decisions that require us to weigh our self-interests against group interests. That's true. This dilemma also happens in our bodies via four key chemicals. Endorphins and dopamine drive us to satisfy our personal needs. Example, find food and shelter. Okay develop solutions, and persevere through problems. And they help us to get things done so we survive. Yes. Serotonin and oxytocin encourage us to work together with others. They build feelings of trust, camaraderie, and loyalty that strengthen our social bonds and increase our inclination to cooperate with others to achieve what we can't on our own. The four chemicals are nature's way to help us survive by balancing our personal drive and social needs. So I knew about endorphins and dopamine. I got to be honest. I didn't know that serotonin and oxytocin was like the group drug. (laughs) You know what I mean? Neither did I. Honestly, I actually thought that I I wouldn't have put those together. Like serotonin and yeah, I wouldn't have thought that was a group thing. I thought that would have been more individual. Yeah. I don't know. Is it is it something where some people are just more addicted to serotonin and oxytocin so they get a bit of, You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that feeling you get that that high of helping and, and again, makes you feel good. I mean, that's what those chemicals do to you. Yeah. Maybe. It is a great feeling. Like like um and I'll go back to the jujitsu tournament that I just did. Like I lost. I told you all about it. <laughs> um but you know, people on my team won. And I was super I was disgusted with my performance, but I was so happy for them and had pride in the team. 
you know, and even today, like I just got back from competition training with that, with my team. And even, even there, it's like a different feeling, um, than being in the normal training room. I find that interesting being able to separate those two things. And I think that is something that makes a good leader being able to separate how you feel about yourself and your performance and then being able to step back and look at the team's performance and see the success. It's very difficult, I think, when I do a bad job to feel good about really anything else. So I'm hyper-focused on me. But again, if you can step back and be like, okay, I didn't perform as well as I should. I need to work on these things. However, my team was very successful. So as a unit, and going back to those chemicals, again, I could see where that would spike and you would feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's fun having, having like, your tribe. Yeah. You know, your little group of people that, that you can have pride in. I also feel like people that do really hard things together. Oh, there's a, there's a different bond that's made. There is a different bond. Who, who did that? Uh, it was Zack Snyder when he filmed 300. Yep. All of those guys trained together, and he trained with them. So, and you're you're doing all of this work, and you're becoming like this picture perfect physical specimen, which again, I mean, takes an ungodly amount of effort and commitment and all those things. So, to do it together with a group of other guys, again, you build that camaraderie. You're all going through the suck together, and that's something that's very difficult to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't uh, artificially create that. No. Like, you have to do the hard shit together. Yes. And that is why I always find, excuse me, that's why I always find those, like, team building events and yada to be bullshit. Because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not connecting with these people over a beer. Like, I don't know them. I don't even know if I like them. Like, Let's go do something hard together. Let's go run a, a color run or a Spartan race or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that to me builds way more camaraderie, way more um, um, trust and loyalty, and it gives you the opportunity and every member on the team the opportunity to show that they can show up and they can put out and they can do hard things. So doing hard things is also, I think, something that can be accomplished through going through a difficult time together. Not necessarily sure. you doing something, like, again, going for going on a 5K or whatever. Spartan, whatever. Yeah. Um, again, maybe your department is going through a reorganization. Maybe your team is getting pulled apart to work on different projects. Maybe all these things are happening outside of your group. And you and the three people, four people, five people you work with kind of come together and be like, okay, listen, no matter what transpires here, we're going to figure it out. And this is going to suck and no fun. But the the group is together. We, the five of us are... We have each other's backs. We're going we're gonna to make it work. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree that... And don't get me wrong, doing those... Uh, team building events where everybody gets to hang out and have a few drinks and eat food and laugh and all that. Those are fun, but I don't think it builds the camaraderie and the team as much as they say it does. I know it doesn't. I agree. So in the book, uh, he talks about a circle of safety. And it goes back to what we were talking about, about protecting your team Mm. and being that shield for the team. And he has a pretty interesting um, thought process on it, I think. So it says, traditionally, our family provides a circle of safety where we feel safe and supported. Not if you're in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Inside the circle, we have a healthy balance of the four chemicals and low cortisol levels, which cortisol is responsible for stress and, and stuff like that. In organizations, circles of safety provide people with a sense of belonging and security. People feel valued and cared for and trust that others will act in uh, their best interests. This facilitates communication, cooperation, problem solving, and innovation, 
allowing people to direct their attention to external threats and opportunities, right? A team that's constantly fighting inside of one another mm. is not a successful team. By contrast, when people feel threatened by internal politics and infighting, they turn their attention inward to focus on self-preservation, making the group more vulnerable as a whole. Hiring someone new should be like adding a new member to your family. I totally you, agree. I totally, I totally agree, agree with yeah. that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in, in a second. Right. You must set stringent standards for the type of people you'll accept. Once they're a part of the family, you don't simply kick them out when the going gets tough. You must give loyalty to earn loyalty. Yeah, that's 100% true. I think that, and I think that's something that is very difficult for managers to execute on because you are getting pressure from up above or whatever to fill a position in a way that's going to immediately move you forward. And I think that sometimes, yeah, you can find those people, but that's only half of the equation. The other half, which is getting along with the team and, and doing your part, I feel like gets missed. And to me, that's the most important part. But how do you find that out in a two interview process or it's, a three interview process? Well, I don't think you can, but I think you can get a good read. I think as a leader, part of your job is to understand the dynamics of your team. And when you talk to somebody, I feel like you can pull those type of things out of them. How do you react in this situation? What do you think about this? How do you feel about these things? When you are going through X, how does that affect Y? I, when... I was a manager and hiring people in a sales environment. I, probably to my detriment, never asked about anything sales related. I don't care. It, I can teach you, you that. You can teach soft skills. I can teach you those things. Are you a good person? Do I feel like I can, me and my team can be around you more than we are our families? Can, can we all get along together? And are you an asshole or not? Yeah. Those are my, and then everything else we can figure out. We can work on those things. Yeah. So I think if you go into a two interview process with a very specific window of things you're looking for, I think you can do it. Now, is that perfect every time you worked with me? No, but I think that it's better than, let me tell you, um, one interview that I had, it was like a three interview process, not one interview, but one iteration of interviews that I was going through some time ago. The final interview was a full role play. Hmm. I had to role play a sales presentation, essentially. Okay. And I was just like, this is that dude that turned me off so bad. I was like that, like, this is all I'm ever going to be. If, if I come here, that's all it's ever going to be. Elaborate on that. I'm, I'm curious about that thought process. Well, it's just like if if that is the final interview, this is the final piece of the pie that you need to make your decision. To me, that signifies its importance. Yes. Right? I cannot make the decision without seeing how you perform in a sales function. And then to do an hour and a half role play. That's a long time. Very long. Um, and, and all of the... Every interview leading up to that was all sales based like questions. Oh, so they never they never got past that. There no. was no there was no other level. No. They did they did like in the first interview they did like a ten minute introduction where the guy talked about it was a, it was scripted as fuck, dude. I could mm. tell it was scripted. Where he said it a thousand times and it wasn't a genuine thing. And then it was like, Tell me about yourself and I I literally just copied his structure. <laughs> from what he said and the structure that he followed. And that was it. That was as much as we like talked about ourselves, dude. When I was running a sales team, I would actually have the team interview the person too. That's a cool idea. And not like, not like I never, I mean, not never, but as I, as I matured as, as a leader, my questions got away from like, What's a what's a very stereotypical question? It's like tell me three things that that you're strong at or whatever. Like tell me uh, tell me one time you failed and how you t turned it around. Yeah, 
Yeah. Tell me one time uh, where you had a confrontation with a, a colleague at work and, and how did you resolve that? Yeah. So I did like, just do I literally what you said? Do I feel like I like you? Yeah. Right. Um, do I feel like you're going to be cool with the team? Do I feel like you're going to be a Debbie Downer? Mm. Right. Are you complaining about a lot of things? Uh, or are you somebody that sees the bright side? I'm, I'm, I'm dude, everybody gets down every once in a while, but oh, yeah. for the most, especially in sales, yep. you're a tough environment. It's a tough environment. You're getting rejected consistently and constantly. And it's those little small wins that you have to be like, yeah, very hard being success. Whoa, fuck being successful. 10% of the time is like huge. It's huge. That's, that is, that's what everybody strives for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I would I would have my team meet with them, you know, different people from the team, not not the whole team at once, but different people from the team. And then I would have them come into the office and introduce them to everybody and see how they acted. And then I would go up and I would talk to the the assistants that that they interacted with and be like, what did you guys think? You know, and they're like, yeah, it was kind of awkward, a little mm. weird, you know. Like what? Because maybe I'm missing something. Right. I'm not. I'm not a fucking end all be all. You know. Right. And I would bring them into the bullpen that had like all the we call it the bullpen that had like all the new guys in there. See how how do they react to this environment, and try to make a judgment call based off of that. I mean, without the team's feedback, especially an established team that you have built the relationship with, yeah, and we had been running for three years. Yeah. So it's like I don't know how you could make the proper decision without the team's involvement in some capacity and like you said not everybody i mean i would have my assistant and then one of the other like senior ranked people do the interviews with me yep like you said i am not an end-all be-all and i value your opinion if you feel like this is not going to work i i need to take that into consideration now that being said i am responsible for making the best decision possible and maybe that is bringing this person on yeah but Again, I don't. Again, I don't think you can do that properly without the team's involvement. I agree. So uh, he talks about becoming a leader. Our younger generation, Gen Y, grew up with abstraction, abundance, and a bias towards individualism. They're used to relying on social media, online support groups, and drugs to cope with problems. Many of them don't even know how to build the deep, trusting human connections needed for their survival and well-being. I feel like that was amplified with COVID. Yes. Big time. Yep. People are feeling increasingly isolated. Suicide rates in America have risen so sharply that more people are now dying, uh, are now dying of suicides than car accidents. More than ever, we need leaders to create circles of safety and positive and fulfilling work environments. Hundred percent. I have a question for you. Do you think that you can make a good leader, or do you think that that is something that's kind of already built into that person? It just needs to come out. No, I think it's a skill set that can be developed over time if you care about it and you want to be a good leader. Uh, I don't. I don't think leaders are born. I think they're made. I disagree with you. You disagree? I do. I think that there is. I think it's a part of your personality. I think there's a certain aspect of it that is just who you are. I think certain people are drawn to leadership and maybe those skills once a part of the ride are then built upon and, and fleshed out and kind of softened. Mm. But I think in my opinion, being a good leader is difficult to do if it's not already part of you. I feel like, like for me, for example, I n never wanted to be in management. Now I totally do. I miss having a team, but I've never had an issue getting along with anybody. I've never had a problem, you know, getting a group of people together and then having them look to me and me being able to make decisions, just be like, this is what we're doing. I feel like that's something that to learn now, I, I don't know if I could. So I've, I've seen people go from being bad leaders to good leaders. Bad leader to good leader is different. Just a leader in general. I feel like to want uh, to get okay. in front of okay. a group of people and have you be the person that in a time of trial, they turn to. If I Again, okay. I don't think that's something that you can So you're not you talking learn. about the skills. You're talking about no. the persona of yes. a leader. Yes. 
That is, that's a different question. Um, mm, that's tough. I mean, does does the you know, no offense to anybody that plays Dungeons and Dragons, but like, does the introvert that still lives in his mom's basement playing Dungeon and Dragons six days a week, is he gonna step up? Are people gonna take him seriously? Probably not. Depends. Depends what the player. Uh, maybe in the D and D. I would say it yeah, depends who the player is. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about that before. It depends on what circle you're walking in. Yeah. Hmm. I don't. I don't think you can learn that well. But you can get that persona through confidence. You know what I mean? That's fair. If you can build your confidence and your skill set, and you feel more confident, and you feel like you have the backing to make those tough decisions, and you're not going to get thrown under the bus if you make the wrong decision. Um. I don't know. That's that's a tough question. That's a tough because I, I do think some people naturally have that persona where people want to follow them. Yeah. And they just naturally are like, what what do we do? And the whole group turns and looks at that one person. Yep. But I've also seen people develop into that. That's again, I mean we already we already said it. I think you can teach people re- uh, almost anything. Almost anything. I'm just not sure if the persona is is part of that. It also depends on your uh, it's so in, in in the army when you're getting promoted from a specialist to a sergeant, they move you from your unit. Oh, because everybody there knows you as the private and the specialist. That's fair. So to be taken seriously as a sergeant as a leader, it is a lot harder because those are your friends. Yes, I was you know, say, those are your boys. Difficult you know to manage mean? friends. Yes. Difficult to manage friends, and and you know they're they're gonna be like, dude, fuck out of here. You were my rank last week, dude. Hundred percent, right? So they'll move you to a new unit for for your promotion, and then you walk in the door, and you're a sergeant, you're a leader. You know that's that's all they've ever known you as. Yeah, is is that guy? So I feel like I don't know at unit at unit A. Would people turn and look to that person that just got promoted? Probably not. But at unit B, where that's the only place that they know him and he doesn't have that, you know, the baggage of he fell asleep on fire guard one time two years ago and everybody knows about it and whatever. So maybe that person is able to stand up with the confidence to to make those decisions. Sure. Yeah. And I I think that example is really good. I, I definitely think that's the other side of what I said, yeah, I, I can agree. I can get behind that out of curiosity. Yeah. Do you think that it's important for a leader to have a strong leader behind them? Or do you think that's something that can be overcome? I think it's super helpful. Okay. It's but super it, helpful, but not an end all be all, not an end all be all. Okay. No, no, not you can, you can weather the storm. Yep. It's going to get found out Yep. at some point. Um, and if you can weather the storm and you can shelter and protect and create the circle of safety for your team, uh, you can ride that out. I agree. They'll, they'll, they'll especially at at that higher level. They they they'll get exposed. I agree. Yeah, they'll I get exposed. I agree. Why don't we talk about a couple quotes? Let's do it. Cool. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. I can support that. That's pretty. Yeah. On my old team, there was. One person who their goals were, you know, they wanted the big house and the nice car and the vacations and awesome, Mm -hmm. all those things. And the other guy was just like, I want to make this amount of money and I want to work three days a week. So it's very possible. Yeah, but it was just so like... Polar opposite. Yeah. It's polar opposite. So it's like that the guy that his goal is to work three days a week... It's not your normal, like, how do I get you to be more and do more? And, and how do I, because that's not what he's going for. No. Right? He's going for less. I was, I was going to say, do more with less. He's, he's trying to do more with less, right? So then you have to, so with him, I always talked about efficiency, okay. right? You you want to you, you want to work two days a week. Fucking by all means, dude, let's make it happen. Yeah. Like, I don't want you working more than that if you don't want to work more than that. How do we maximize those two days? Yeah. Right. And that's what got him excited. Not not being more and better and bigger and so on and so forth, where the other kid or the man, the other man, I was always talking about how to think bigger, think larger. How do we how do we how do we maximize 
this this opportunity, right? How can we be hunting for more? And that's what got him fired up. I think that's really interesting because I agree. Even though you're managing a team, you manage the individuals based on the individual. And I think that's another thing that makes a good leader compared to a average or a bad leader is those guys or ladies try to manage everybody the same way. That's right. Where the good leaders are understand that, again, yeah, we have goals as a group, but then everybody else has their own thing. And here's the deal. They don't give a fuck about the group goals. No. Until you give a fuck about their goals. Yes. They don't give a fuck. So what you? What are you doing for me? That's it, dude. And then, oh, you're okay. That's now it. I can. And I was able to get to the point where, like, I would have I would have the people on the team set their own goals, right? And then I would say, all right, and I'd go back and I'd aggregate everything and I'd say, okay, how close are we to like our team goal? All right, we're like ten percent off. And I would go to like my two strongest people and I would say, hey, this is our team goal. We're based off of the projections, we're short. Do you feel like you can pick up 5%? And if they were like, yes, awesome. How can I help you do that? Mm-hmm. Right? What What do you need from me? And if they were like, no, Josh, I'm going to be out for the month of August because my wife and kids and I are going to, okay. Okay. Yeah. Too easy. You know, um, I just feel like you have to put what they're trying to achieve before the team and you have to earn, you have to earn the right to ask them to go above and beyond. I think that's fair. You know, another quote, the true price of leadership is the willingness to place the needs of others above your own. Great leaders truly care about those they are privileged to lead and understand that the true cost of the leadership experience comes at the expense of self, uh, self-interest. So true. And I, I feel like this whole episode, we've kind of come back to that, that you're going to need to sacrifice and, and for the betterment of the group. And that can be scary. Hell yeah. That can be scary. Hell yeah. You know, uh, especially like I, I was, I'm a big fan of decentralized command, mm-hmm. right? What that means when you break it all down is they make the decisions in their day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm giving you the autonomy and authority to make decisions. You don't need to call me for everything. In short term, that leads to fucking chaos. I was about to say. <laughs> it is a catastrophe for like six months, dude. Yep. You know, and you're putting out fires and, and you know, your upper manager's like, what the fuck is going on with your team? What is happening? It's like, just bear with me. You got to ride with me for, for a little while longer. But on the other side of that is a group of individuals who are confident in their abilities, know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, they proved it to themselves because they've made all the decisions. They have ownership over the decisions that they made. I didn't tell you to go and do that. You made that decision to go and do that. And I'm going to support you 100% in every decision that you make. I'll probably tell you if it was a stupid decision. And let's not do that again. But But, I have your back. But I have your back. And on the other side of this, I have a group of self-sufficient individuals that don't need me for everything, which in turn allows me to grow and develop the team. Definitely. I mean, I think that's how you build leaders. And I also think that's how you give people confidence is to allow them to fail allow them to make the wrong decision and then we go from there yep this is not the end of the world i mean your situation is a little different in you know the army i mean you are saving lives but in corporate america we're not saving lives like things are going to happen things are going to go wrong what went wrong how do we fix it and not do it again yeah all right cool enjoy dinner like and it's it's one of those things where it's like when your parents would be like don't do that right Yep. Don't do that, Justin. It's going to hurt. And you're like, nah, I'm going to fucking jump out of this tree. And then you do it and you're like, wow, that hurt. I yeah. don't, I don't want to do that again. You know, some experiences you need to have on your own. Definitely. So I feel like there's a, when we talk about this circle of safety, right? I feel like you have to be intelligent about what you're protecting them from. What, what I find really interesting about this, and I'm going to tie it back to raising my son. My dad sent me something that 
we we had talked about me as a child. I was a daredevil. No fear about anything. I wanted to backflip and do all that stuff off of anything I could. My dad sent me a video that was a toddler climbing on these different um, cabinets in the kitchen to pull something out of one drawer and put it in a different one. And it, what, the parent was behind them filming. The child had no idea they were in the room. It's important to do dangerous things safely. Yep. Because that is the only way you are going to learn. Now, do we want you, again, do I want to set my son up to get like seriously hurt? Absolutely not. But if, again, you're, you want to, he, during COVID, we watched a lot of YouTube videos of people doing BMX. I love BMX. If you want to learn how to backflip off a ramp, I'm not going to tell you no, but we need to make sure that this is the best way we can do it. And when it goes horribly wrong, again, I'll, hey, I'll be here for you. didn't work. Could have told you that, but hey, now we know. Yeah. And now we can move forward. And yeah. I think it's it's similar to, again, when you have a team, again, let's, yeah, make the decision. Yeah, if you think this is what's best, let's run with it. And then we can assess at the end and, and we'll move forward. Last quote. Let's hear it. When a leader embraces their responsibility to care for people instead of caring for numbers, then people will follow. Hell yeah. Solve problems and see to it that the leader's vision comes to life the right way a stable way and not the expedient way. And when you show that you care about your team, the team wants you to succeed. Don't rush to failure. No. That's, that's sometimes you got to slow down and do things the right way. And I feel like a lot of leaders rush to failure. Yes. And I especially think in the environment that we came from, it's even more so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hurry up and get there. All right, you want to bust out that whiskey? Let's do it. All right. So what did you think about uh, Leaders Eat Last, the sort of conversation synopsis? I thought it was really cool. And I I also, mean, like the fact that it really fits with how we view leadership. And even before myself reading the book, I mean, I thought it was really good. I think more people should view leadership in that way. As a, as a servant. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, we've polished off our fat tire. Yeah, polished. You, actually, can you grab me that bottle? Yes, my lord. All right, so we are busting out some Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Uh, I actually didn't even know that this existed until I was in my 20s, hmm. uh, which I guess is an appropriate age. I was going to say, I mean, I feel like that's kind of par for the course. Yeah, but. yeah, that's fair. It's not like I'm, yeah, it's not like I was 50 when I found it. Um. So it is um, Suntory whiskey. It's Toki. Toki. And you said you have you have a Suntory whiskey, but it's something else. I do. It starts with an A, and I want to say Ashoka, which is from Star Wars. So that's not right, but, but it's, it's very good. Some some word like that. Yeah. Um, it says a vivid blend of carefully selected Japanese whiskeys, silky with a subtle sweet and spicy finish. Let's see. Um, 43% alcohol, 86 proof. I love the bottle. I love the bottle too. Bottle sick. Um, Very simple. It's simple and elegant. Yes. Elegant. Yes. Elegant. It's classy. Right? It's also a very light whiskey, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not, you can tell that this isn't a bourbon, right? It's not a dark barrel aged uh, uh, type of liqueur. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just took a sip, and the description, I think, is probably the best description that we've had to this point. This is a very silky, smooth going down. Yeah. does have a bit of a burn at the end. It's so good. It's heavenly. It is so good. Yeah. Um, this is better than Clyde Mays. This is better than Clyde <laughs> Mays. Yeah, and you know what? How much do you think that bottle costs? Um, based on the way it looks and how good it is to drink, I would probably say like maybe a hundred bucks, 80 bucks, 80 bucks. Wow. And I got it at Epcot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. After drinking around the world. Yes. Yes. I love it. Love it. Drinking and eating around the world. That's right. Um, I bought it in Japan quote unquote. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah. So honestly, amazing for eighty dollars, dude. Yeah. For if we were rating this based on just the price point, I would probably give it a nine. I just don't know. Like I don't know what else is out there, so I can't give it a ten. But this is very good. This is actually my new favorite whiskey. Wow. I have not had anything better than this whiskey. Okay. In my opinion. And that's just because I I like um I like a lighter whiskey. Mm. Right? I like I like I can sip dude, I could drink this all day. Mm. Um and it's cuz there's not this huge bite at the end. It is silky. It feels good. It tastes good. Um, I'm actually, and I'm drinking it the way that I like with two ice cubes and a splash of water. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. I could kill this whole fucking bottle today. Surprised we haven't. And so am I. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you're giving it a nine? Is that what you're giving it or no? Um, So for the price point, I would give it a nine. I think overall, I'm going to give it an eight. I, I like the darker whiskeys. I like more of a bite. Yeah. So I wouldn't say this is my new favorite, but mm. it's definitely top five. It's top five. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's so good. It's so good. I'm actually at like a 9.3. 9.3. Yeah. I'm glad that we haven't gotten away from those weird points. No. Um. No, we never will. No, all right. That, that will always be how I It's a this. staple. I love yeah. it. Um, what? What was your favorite whiskey before? Just out of curiosity. Um, I liked like Belvedere. Ooh, okay. it's good. I have a bottle of that upstairs. Um, we should crack that open. That's a twelve year. Um, that's good. You know, but if we're just talking about drinkability, like yeah. I'll have a single glass of Belvedere and be like, "Oh, that was good." Right? Yeah. No, we're talking about drinkability. Drinkability this all day oh yeah red breast is good mm. um four roses now not back in the now. day <laughs> yeah four roses back in the day was gross four roses now is good but i yeah i could i could literally drink this and that's that's how i judge things is drinkability yeah how else how else should we judge it i don't know it's a good question <laughs> if anybody else if anybody has an opinion on that please let us know um there's something other than drinkability you wanna you wanna hear about, but but I think that this is well above an average whiskey. Hell yeah, yeah. Without yeah, without any hesitation. Very good, very 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 good. Um, okay. Anything anything else? Any last minute thoughts? Definitely go buy a bottle of this. Yeah. Or two. Yeah, and buy as many bottles as you can. Yeah. Just yeah. um, stay away from the liquor store near my house because I'm gonna go get some more. Yeah. Don't. Wow, that was weird. I I had a whole thought, and in the time that I went, don't, disappeared. Gone. That was wild. Gone. There Uh, she was, gone. Well, that was another episode of Sip and Read. Justin and I are going to sit here and finish our whiskey. Yeah, we are. Um, We hope that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Justin, if they want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? Sure. So I'm on Instagram. It is Justin underscore DL project and if you want to get in touch with the podcast if you think that you might be an interesting guest we're always open to that have yeah. a conversation around that if you think that you have an interesting core topic or a book that you'd like us to to review or a beer or a whiskey or whatever tequila gin scotch I think, I think you guys are aware that justin and i are pretty fluid yeah um we're cool with whatever for the most part uh, so if you want to get in touch with the podcast, it is at the Do Life Project uh, on Instagram. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Joshua underscore does underscore life on Instagram. That's my handle on all social media prop, uh, platforms. And we would appreciate it big time if you guys could leave us a review on whatever listening platform you're on, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Anchor, um, whatever is pumping out our voices to your ears. Uh, it would mean a lot to us. Let us know if you love it, hate it, what you'd change, what you want to keep. Uh, it helps us get better, and it helps us to provide good content and good listening things for you. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Anything else, Justin? No. Hey, just uh, 
keep living your life. Keep showing up and uh, live uncomfortably. Live uncomfortably. Hey. Bye.